You're, 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 you're listening to the Mr. James Carrington Podcast. And now, a few wise words from our sponsors. The bedroom is for what? Sleep and... Smash. Smash, that's right. In Nigeria. Criminals. Everywhere. 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 Et son excellence Jean-Pierre Liaou, les cerveaux d'État. Et enceinte mon amane L'être motivation sociale Et Paul Alex c'est le grand Nigérien Webini de l'Afrique Et Kode Mampaka Francity Yomulu Bayacher Iska Alenzo Yakasusuli Nakoya possède, 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 Nako
Prince, DJ Lutonadio, Mohamed Ambissi, Gilles Mbongo na Italie, Lorette Mpemba. Na koya kosede, finanga la kufa, na pimwa neti Welcome back to the show. Welcome back. I hope you guys were enjoying that brief, brief musical break. How y'all doing out there, man? I hope uh, everybody that's hearing my voice is um, is, uh, is is healthy, and uh, you've been spared having to endure. Uh, what corona is doing to the world uh, hopefully all of you guys my listeners uh, have not had to deal with with that i have a, a very good friend of mine him and his wife both got it uh, about a month ago but they have pulled through and um you know his wife is a is an anesthesiologist you dig which means she is right there. When it, it doesn't get any closer to being to the front line as his wife is. Because if a patient comes into the hospital and is, um, you know, it, it has corona, and uh, they, you know, they they get to the point where, you know, they start to have respiratory distress. And they can breathe on their own, and 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 they have to be put on the on the ventilator. Well, his wife, being the anesthesiologist, is one of the few people who can do that. So she was in the hospital constantly, being exposed over and over and over again, and uh, she got it. And I I think she obviously came home and gave it to my buddy. My buddy seems to think he gave it to her because he's in healthcare too. Now he doesn't really come into contact with sick people as sick as she would, but regardless, he still comes into contact with sick people, and he thinks that he gave it to her. I think it's the other way around, but hey, whatever. But the good news is, either way, both of them have recovered. They both tested positive, and they both had to to self quarantine and all that stuff. And you know, I remember talking to my friend, and he was just coughing, just coughing. And I so I was asking him, you know, what his symptoms were, and he he experienced the classic uh, symptoms that were first reported. You know, the dry cough, uh, the fever, and. Um, and the, the loss of uh, taste in his mouth. So for a couple of weeks, he couldn't taste anything. So we thank God for that. We thank God for that. 
um, and and you know continue to pray that none of us will be uh, even if we're exposed to it none of us will catch this thing you know none of us will catch it for all we know some of us have even caught it already and have recovered because remember a lot of people are going to be asymptomatic so there are people walking around right now who have caught it and didn't even know they caught it there are also people who are walking around who swear up and down they think they caught it because a couple months ago they caught something and they couldn't shake it off they felt it was the flu but it was kind of, it felt kind of different i have a, i have had a couple of people including my wife who have gone through this you think so i don't know i don't know as all of this unfolds before our eyes again all we can do is just try to protect ourselves at all times you know make sure when you go out there you have your mask on make sure you're washing your hands and uh, you know don't get too close to people i see all these uh people on television you know talking about they 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 need to go out and they need to go live their lives um and you know the spectrum of people who are you know making this sentiment uh, ranges from you know yeah this is a sensible person what they're saying actually makes sense they need to be out there to to make you know to go to work they need to be out there to reopen their business so they can feed their family they can make some money to feed their family it goes from that end of the spectrum to the borderline or damn right ludicrous armed protesters who are there saying you know the whole corona thing is is uh, is a hoax it's a hoax it's it's false there is no corona going on around uh, it's just lies being made up by the government and therefore they they need to they're gonna bear arms to ensure that they can they and like-minded idiots can move around freely and do whatever the hell they want I was reading an article and a couple such incidents have occurred and in all places in of all places Texas of course which doesn't surprise us because Texans uh, Texans just like to carry their guns there's something about a Texan and a gun I don't know if they think guns are I don't know what it is about Texans and guns but they just love their guns right <laughs> so I, I was reading this article where um, the governor of Texas, you know, of course, he put the, the, the state in lockdown for a while. And then uh, because his constituents, you know, people started saying, you know what, we need to reopen the state and whatnot and whatnot. So I think at one point he, he, he started reopening you know because that's what most governors here have been doing they've been slowly reopening their states and um i guess he wasn't opening it fast enough for some people and others were questioning well why is this business open but mine can't be open you see so there was a lot of confusion going on and it's not just in texas it's all over the place there are certain states where the governors have not the, the governors have not been very firm in telling you know the people in their state listen this is what is going to happen okay 
and so people are confused people are confused and they're angry and you know and they're acting out so in texas um some store owners especially small business owners you know who have to you know you don't work you don't eat because there is no salary there is no check coming for you because you don't work for anybody you work for yourself so some people you know some shop owners decided to open and when they did uh they they went out to 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 get assistance from these militias these armed militias who then come and stand guard quote unquote guard in front of their businesses as to why i have no idea but if you really want to come up with an explanation they're doing it because they they feel or they know that law enforcement might come in and might try to shut the business down so they're standing there with their guns and I'm not really sure whether they they actually want a conflict with law enforcement. I don't know. I I really don't know what the purpose or what purpose they're serving right now. So there have been instances where they've done that and law enforcement has shown up. And when law enforcement shows up, at least for the time being, what has happened is they've surrendered to law enforcement. There was a picture circulating on Yahoo News where these four guys are standing in front of some salon or whatever and they have their hands up because the cops came and the cops had their guns pointed at them. So this is you've you've had incidents like this all over in Texas and in certain other states. My thing is it's all fun and games now, right? Until and if this continues, I guarantee if this continues, if we keep seeing this where armed men are standing in front of businesses because some business owner says, you know what, it's my right to stay open. And these militias, these armed militias are saying, you know what, we agree with you. We're going to come stand guard. It is only a matter of time before law enforcement shows up at such an establishment guns will be drawn because you're at you're gonna have law enforcement has the right to draw their guns no matter what but what's gonna happen is these militias because a lot of them are filled with knuckleheads you're gonna you're gonna have somebody who is not going to stand down and they're also gonna draw on the police and there's going to be all it's going to take is for a shot to go off an accident an accidental shot to go off and it'll be all guns will start blazing and what you're going to have is dead people on both sides this is my prediction if this continues if this keeps going on it's a very volatile situation it's a powder keg waiting to explode and these morons are over here they think you know they they keep claiming that the government forcing them to be indoors the government forcing businesses to shut down is tyranny and all that stuff these are the same morons who when obama was president every little chance they would get would would strap guns to themselves and and go protest and everything is about we are here to ensure that the government is not tyrannical they keep saying that over and over and over again as if 
you know, there is some tyranny going on. They did it during Obama's time. You know, these are the ones who, who mostly white males, who, who ran out and bought all these guns, bought all this ammunition because they thought Obama was going to take their guns away from them. And they thought Obama was going to ban AR-15s. And, and Obama didn't even do any of that. He didn't do any of that. And so these people, you know, they're going around, they're just, they're just always finding an excuse to strap guns to their bodies and go stand somewhere and try to intimidate somebody. As to who they're trying to intimidate, I, I have no idea. And like I said, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before there is a shootout and people actually die. And all I can say is this. From all the, the, the photos I've seen and the videos I've seen, again... It's mostly white males in these militias. And the law enforcement that's showing up is also mostly white males. So as far as I'm concerned, because I don't give a shit about either side. I don't care about law enforcement and I don't care about the militia. If they decide to wipe each other off the surface of the earth. If the two groups decide to go at each other and kill each other off. I basically won't shed a tear. I won't. You understand? Because as far as I'm concerned, they are both one and the same. One just happens to be on the side of the law, the other is not. You understand? So they should keep at it. They should keep at it. Like I said, it's only a matter of, if this continues, it's only a matter of time before someone accidentally pulls the trigger. It could come from the law enforcement side. It could come from the militia side. And all hell is going to break loose. So they should keep at it. They should keep at it. It will make for good television. Uh, you know. So that's what's happening right now in, in some of these states. And um, as to what will happen, that remains to be seen. That remains to be seen. Now let's move to uh, a different part of the world. Let's 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 shift our focus to Africa. Um, as you guys are aware, if you listened to the last episode, I was telling you guys how um, I was talking about Trump's ban and how Nigerians were jubilating about it. If you haven't listened to the to that episode, go back and listen to it. I think it's episode fifty four. Um, but. What I wanted to say to that was, so basically, Africa is on lockdown. The virus is there. It's like in a big cauldron. Okay, both rich and poor alike are in there. You know, uh, boiling together with the with the virus, like gumbo, like a soup that's slowly boiling. Right. So there's no escape. There's nowhere to go. So, as I pointed out in the last episode, in Nigeria, a couple of high-profile officials, um, the most notable one being President Buhari of Nigeria's chief of staff, he got corona. And his, his, his political power and capital and his position in Nigeria couldn't save him. You understand? It couldn't save him. 
Now, as to where he was sent for treatment and the, the kind of hospital that he was sent to, I have no idea. But the point is, if the chief of staff, okay, if the chief of staff couldn't even be saved by whatever medical facilities they have in the country, how much more a regular Nigerian, right? How much more a regular civilian? So the point is, the bigger picture is, it points to the dismal state of the medical facilities in the country. Now, who is to blame for that? Obviously, it's leadership. Obviously, it's leadership. It's not the regular, average, hard-working citizen of Nigeria. No, it is leadership. The political class, the ruling class of Nigeria, who have done nothing to improve the lives of their fellow countrymen. They're the ones to blame. They're the ones to blame. You know, I was reading an article where it said, Nigerians, the ones who could afford it, the rich, the political class, the ruling class, the ones with money, um, whenever they got sick, and they would fly out of the country and come to the West for treatment. And I, I touched on that in the last episode. So they put a figure to it. They said in 2013, which I know is seven years ago, but you got to think of it this way. If in 2013, right, that was happening, and to this day it's still happening, then, you know, things have actually gotten worse, right? So in 2013... Nigerians who flew overseas for medical tourism spent one billion dollars. One billion with a B dollars in healthcare expenses overseas. So so basically one billion dollars that could have been spent in Nigeria was brought to the West and given to the West. So you think about it, that was in one year. So it is safe to assume that every year, it is safe to assume that, right? It is safe to assume that every year, the the wealthy, the, the, the ultra-wealthy in, in Nigeria and the political class and the ruling class, it is safe to assume that every year they spend at least $1 billion, $1 billion outside, tending to their wounds and their, and their chronic uh, health conditions. So a sensible person will ask, well, if that's the case, I mean, $1 billion is a lot of money. Why can't, why can't Nigeria build a first-class hospital in Nigeria? $1 billion can build a first-class hospital in Nigeria. Okay? You can build a hospital for about $500 million, a big hospital, and, you know, I don't know how many rooms you could get, but I, I'm pretty sure 500 million, you could probably build a hospital that can probably accommodate, you could probably build a thousand bed hospital for 500 million dollars in Nigeria. Okay, so then you ask yourself, why can't Nigeria build a hospital? Get a piece of land somewhere in Nigeria, okay? A piece of land that's owned by the government. Build a first-class hospital in Nigeria. Have all the machines, the MRIs, the ventilators. And basically, build it 
you know, build a replica of a hospital you would see here in the States. Like the Penn Health System or Jefferson or John Hopkins or something. $500 million, you could build that, I guarantee. Let's even say $800 million. You could get, you could build a really nice hospital. And then after you build it, the remaining 200 million hire some of the best specialists in the world okay you figure um, there are so many bright and smart Nigerian doctors here in the States and in the diaspora I read about them all the time you, you, you know not just Nigerians but Ghanaians too Nigerian doctors Ghanaian doctors you know that whole thing where African parents when they bring their kids to America and to the West they always want them to become either doctors or lawyers or pharmacists or accountants or, well that thing it's it, it's there it you know it's it's real so there is an abundance of black doctors in the West who are of African descent directly okay who are in 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 specialized fields who are in high paying fields because their skill set is is so high up there okay they command very good salaries i have read so many stories about them so many stories of you know different cases of doctors who just excel in their fields you understand so my thing is you build a first class hospital right and then you pick whatever disease states um, whatever disease states plague your nation whatever disease states plague your nation right Africa being sub-Saharan number one will be infectious diseases right number one will be infectious diseases um, and then everything else after that infectious diseases chronic diseases second okay and then everything in between so and this is okay think of it as let's say if i was the president of nigeria or of ghana this is this would be my plan right i have i i go to the ultra elite in ghana or nigeria or whatever and i say look you guys have one billion dollars i know you're sitting on one billion dollars or you have access to one billion dollars give me that one billion dollars and let me use it to implement this plan that i'm talking about so i'll build a hospital I wish I wish this was a video so I could I could I could show you guys what my plan is so I built the hospital right I built the hospital for 500 million okay 500 million will get you a nice decent hospital I'm guessing about a thousand beds okay build a hospital and then the other 500 million obviously would go into the running of the hospital okay so that would mean salaries and you know mostly salaries really okay now in order to make the hospital run efficiently hmm? Hmm? in order to make the hospital run efficiently you need the best of the best okay now so that would mean that what we're gonna get specialists okay we're gonna get specialists and these guys would be 
you know so if nigeria if if, the, if they're doctors of nigerian descent and they live in america and they're specialized in i don't know whatever uh um you know how specialties there's there's specialties and then there's subspecialties but you don't even have to go into subspecialties just get regular specialty broad-based specialties like anesthesiologists like neurosurgeons like um uh what do they call those guys that uh uh the cosmetic guys they like let's say you, you your jaw you get in an accident and your jaw has to be replaced the orthopedics and reconstructive yeah major broad specialty sorry about that my my daughter came in there but anyway so 500 million right so 500 million um is left for for uh whatchamacallit for 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 salaries right then i would send out my minister of health and i'd say go to america go to europe and go look for children or go look for doctors who were born to parents uh from this country okay but who just happened to migrate and have made the west their home and appeal to their sense of loyalty appeal to their sense of nationalism appeal to their sense of of heritage and tell them listen your country needs you appeal to their sense of patriotism and tell them listen your country needs you okay you have people that look like you who really need your help down there in africa now we understand that you live in the West. You have a very comfortable live uh, life here in the West. Your kids go to the best schools. You you've worked hard and you're making good money. We understand that, right? But here's our proposal to you: Why don't you come back and come work for your for you know your country or you know whatever you want to call it your 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 motherland your parents country why don't you come back and work for us and we're willing to incentivize you monetarily to do that you understand so i did the math i said 500,000 right 500 500,000 uh no not 500,000 500 million 500 million dollars Remember, we built the hospital for 500 million, okay? It's 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 um it has all the machines and everything, it has all the beds and everything. So now we're left with 500 million, okay? 500 million even if you bring specialists down here and you pay them $200,000 a year. Okay, $200,000 a year, you could hire 2,500 specialists. 2,500 specialists working in one hospital is a lot. That should pretty much cover all the specialties as well as the subspecialties. You understand? So, let's be even conservative and say the doctors are like, they look at you and they say, you know what, I live here in Baltimore, I work for John Hopkins. I make $300,000. So let's say they're all saying, you know what, pay us $300,000. Okay? So what is $500 million divided by $300,000? That is 1,667 specialists. 
1,667 specialists working in one hospital, bringing all their expertise, everything they've learned about, every disease state that they've specialized in, in the West. They're bringing it into one hospital, concentrating all this cerebral power, all this cerebral knowledge into this, in, you know, in one, in one place. Now you tell me if you're Nigerian and you can afford it, would there be a need for you to, to leave Nigeria to go to America if such a hospital existed and you knew that you were going to be uh, 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 looked after by doctors who really knew their shit? Doctors who were one of a kind in the world. First class. There would be no need for you to leave Nigeria. All you had to do was make your appointment and you go see your doctor. Now bear in mind, bear in mind, this is, and this again, this is 1,667 specialists, okay? Which, you know, for, for a hospital that maybe has a thousand beds, that's a lot of specialists. You probably don't even need that many. You probably only need like half. Like 500,000, I mean 500 specialists. 500 specialists working in conjunction with the other specialists who, you know, locally trained specialists who are there. Because they will be working hand in hand in conjunction. You could solve a lot of problems healthcare wise. So, you know, I have this is a problem that I have thought about over and over and over again and <laughs> you know all it took for me was to see the amount of money nigerians were spending overseas and i realized you know what that's not necessary that is not necessary what's up baby girl what are you doing i'm, I'm here you're here mm -hmm. you have arrived yeah you're gracing me with your presence Really? Should I feel honored? Should I feel honored that you're gracing me with your presence? Well, you get one present. I get one present? Okay, but I, I, I didn't say present, I said presence. Should I feel honored that you're here gracing me with your presence? Well, no. No, I shouldn't feel honored? Well, you are honored, but I'm not. Oh, but you're honored too. What you're talking about? I'm honored. Mm hmm Okay. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you do something for Daddy? I know what your present. He's racing cars. Can you do something for Daddy? Yeah. Can you go upstairs, please? I know. I need to get these toys, Okay, go upstairs, please. Can you go upstairs, please? Okay. Thank you. Sorry about that, folks. You know I always gotta give time to my baby girl, right? I always gotta, I always gotta give her her time. But anyway, so yeah, people, this is this is this is my proposal right here. Five hundred specialists. You don't even need a thousand. Five hundred specialists would cover every. Five hundred specialists is enough to cover every disease state. Every disease state from oncology. To leukemia, to 
uh, infectious diseases to um, what is the word uh, autoimmune diseases 500 specialists in one hospital will cover every disease state imaginable to man so you bring these guys down here okay you bring these guys down here so now we're being conservative so we said 500 specialists bring them from the west incentivize them 500 specialists they're all getting paid 300,000 American dollars okay that is 150 million dollars right there okay that's 150 million dollars right there 150 million dollars means you are still left okay you are still left with 250 million dollars at your disposal use the 250 million dollars to pay the nurses and to pay the local doctors now there might be some friction between the local doctors and the foreign trained doctors because the local doctors might be like listen we're just as good as you and whatnot but there are ways around that there are ways around that and the foreign doctors that you're bringing in would be more than happy to come and work for you because for them the, the whole thing is about the money okay nobody's gonna leave the west making three hundred four hundred thousand dollars to come to nigeria or ghana or cameroon or whatever to make to make a hundred thousand dollars they ain't doing that because they still got student loans to pay so you 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 say listen i know you make 400 i can't pay you 400 but i can pay you three and while you're here the one thing you gotta understand too is that the cost of living is much lower we will give you a car we will give you a house where you can live in provide all these things for them provide them with a house build an estate solely for them you can do it you can do it the money is there build an estate solely for these doctors house them in give them 24 7 hardcore protection so they don't get robbed by armed robbers and all that let the military protect them don't even use the regular police let the military protect them just like the way you let the military protect uh, foreign expatriates in places like Ikoyi and Victoria Island and all them rich affluent suburbs in Lagos do the same thing for these doctors do the same thing for these doctors and tell me you won't begin to see a, a, a sense of pride within Nigerians or within Ghanaians knowing that you know what I don't have to fly out to to Cambridge London or Oxford London or the Mayo Clinic and all that stuff I am right here in my own country being treated by my own countryman he understands me he understands you know some of the, the cultural uh, nuances that you know affect our decisions and our health care uh, decisions here so not only am I talking to someone who straddles both sides of the fence who can who can educate me in you know how to take better care of myself by telling me that listen here mr. Ulumide, you can't keep eating fufu every night 
before you go to bed that is how you end up developing this big belly because even though he came from America he knows what fufu is right he knows the effect it has on my body and I trust him because he, he appeals to my sense of uh, what is it he appeals to to me as a as a fellow countryman so you know he, he can speak the same language that I speak you understand we vibrate on the same frequency this is a very a very this is a very plausible solution right here it's very plausible will it happen of course not because this is just one man this is just one man's idea but the fact is the fact Nigerians spend one billion dollars in one year overseas one billion and there was no need to, there's no reason to, to do that so I say all that to say this okay I say all that to say this if if anything at all I hope that African leaders are learning from what Corona is doing to this world I hope that they are learning and they are using this as a teachable moment to have a shift in paradigm to change the way they do things and to realize that the old way of doing things are not working the corruption is too rampant that I'm only going to look out for myself and my cronies and we're going to enrich ourselves at the expense of our fellow countrymen that can only carry you so far at the end of the day as we're seeing now what your fellow countrymen the ones you don't care about the ones you always trick into voting for you come election time and yet once you get their vote you do nothing for them when you're in power at some point what they are going through will start to catch up to you too you understand I hope African leaders are paying attention I hope they're paying attention they are not immune from the bullshit they're not and Corona is the best teacher Corona is 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 has been an excellent teacher in that regard in letting them know that this it's it's the great equalizer if they didn't realize that at first you know this whole thing with African leaders and, and, the, and the wealthy always running, you know, overseas to get treatment. You know, the, the president of, the former president of the country, the nation of Togo, T-O-G-O, for my American listeners. So there was a guy by the name of Iadema. He was the president of Togo. And Iyadema was president of Togo for, I don't know, at least 30, 40 years. Okay? And when he was president, Iyadema didn't really do much for his country. 
all Iyadema did was loot his nation's coffers any money that came from exports whatever Togo has to export I don't even know what resources Togo has whatever Togo was producing and selling to, to the outside world or whatever money whether it was foreign aid or whatever any money that came into the country did not trickle down to the average Togolese it went into the Iadema family's bank account so the average Togolese was suffering the Iadema's were doing fine so this fool as he started to get older every time he would get sick he would just hop on his private jet and fly to France every time he would get sick he would hop on his private jet and fly to France at no point in time did it occur to this idiot that you know what this whole flying to France thing is getting old it's getting old I mean I can just build a hospital here next to the presidential mansion or whatever it is and just make sure I have some good doctors on hand okay that can take care of me there's no need to fly out every single time that I'm at you know near death's uh, on death's bed you know what I'm saying think about it first of all the hassle of getting on the plane and I know he's the president they would clear the, the runway and but just the whole hassle and 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 Paris to 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 uh, Lome is has to be at least six hours so if 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 he's experiencing something that is really um, time sensitive, like let's say he's getting a heart attack, if you have if you're having a heart attack, you you need to receive medical equipment within like 15 minutes. Okay, you start with you start with the aspirin. Okay, you take three aspirins and then some nitroglycerin and all that. But the point is, in order to get better outcomes even if you survive the heart attack you should be within a hospital in about 15 20 minutes it's the same with a heart attack it's the same with a stroke but if hours and hours go on uh then even if you recover you're not quite going to be the same as if you had gotten to a hospital earlier so this fool Every time he would get sick, he would hop on the plane and go to Togo. Hop, I mean, uh, to Paris. Hop on a plane and go to Paris. Hop on a plane and go to Paris. Well, guess what? At one point in time, one day, he was about to embark on such a journey and he died mid-flight. You see? He died mid-flight let me see if i can find that story for you hold on guys all right now so what you guys are gonna hear basically is just um i didn't want you guys to hear the whole thing but you're gonna hear halfway through uh, uh this is a biography a video biography of of uh, iadima and they're gonna talk about you know how he died and all that stuff that's the part that i just wanted you guys to uh, hone in on okay so you're gonna hear a lot of other things that are not really pertinent to the discussion right now so um 
Hold on, let me let me cue this up. Hold on. European Union sent a mission to evaluate the state of democracy in Togo and start a procedure of democratization of the country. The plan of the mission was to meet with various politicians from all the parties. However, some politicians such as Yaovi Agoibo, Gilchrist Olympio, and Professor Leopold Yeninvi boycotted the meeting. The European Union team eventually cancelled the meeting because attempts to hold discussions with the government were frustrated. On the 5th of February 2005, Yadema had to fly for emergency treatment abroad. This was due to a severe condition of the heart which he suffered. He died while on the plane 250 kilometers south of Tunis, Tunisia. At the time of his death, he was the longest serving head of state in Africa. After his death... Alright, so that's what I wanted you guys to hear. So you see that right there? You see that right there? This guy, and apparently, again, you heard what they said. It was a condition of the heart. And from other things that I have read, this was not the first time he had flown outside of the country. This is what he would do. He would, whenever he, you know, his heart would start acting up or any other condition would start acting up, here he goes. Get on the plane and fly. And you would you would think you would think his personal physicians, local physicians, would have said, Oh, you know, Mr. President, you know, why don't you just build a, a really nice hospital here and put all the machines in there and um, we can treat you here so that you don't have to fly all the time. But it goes to show you he never did that. He never did that, and not only did he not do that. He probably didn't even have faith in his own, his own uh, doctors, his own Togolese, his own fellow African doctors. He had no confidence in them whatsoever to think that they would be able to take care of them. And why is that? Why is that? So he would be going up and down and up and down and finally it caught up to him. And he died on the plane. You know? So, you know, African leaders, uh, again, they, sometimes they think they are immune to um, the suffering that their fellow countrymen go through. But they're not. They're not. And so if they don't fix their countries, if they don't put in place the basic infrastructure to at least make life a little more bearable for their countrymen, they themselves will fall victim to it they themselves will fall victim to it now Iadema his son is now president has the son made any changes in his country has he learned from his father's death to maybe implement changes to say okay you know what let me my dad really neglected this country now it's in my hands because he's a pretty young guy too. He was he was he was thirty five when he became president. A pretty young guy, thirty five years old with all this power and resources at your disposal. You would think, you know what? He would say, "Let me let me at least build uh, 
a clinic or something not just for me i can build a big clinic maybe one side of the building will be just for me and my ministers and for for the ultra wealthy in togo and then the other side will be for regular togolese you know for the ones who require the most critical care you know the ones who are not that sick maybe they can go use the state-run hospitals and whatever but the ones who are really really sick who you know have like conditions like hole in the heart and all that stuff let me in good faith and in good conscience let let me provide a facility for them i can do this i have the money even if the country doesn't have the money because i stole it all from them i have the money let me do this for my countrymen has he done that i doubt it and he probably has become complacent and is probably walking around thinking because he's young now when did they say his dad died 2005 so he's not 35 anymore he's probably maybe 50 by now you know what i'm saying 2005 they said 2005 so 2005 we're in 2020 right so 15 so he's 50 now and i guess it would be safe for me to assume that whatever heart condition his dad died probably is genetic right and so he probably has a chance of getting the same heart condition if he doesn't take good care of himself and he just basically enjoys the trappings of being the president and just living a luxurious life eating whatever he wants you know and being a glutton he probably will end up with the same condition that his dad has and what is he gonna do i guarantee he's probably going to do the same dumb shit his dad did which was every time he would feel himself his body getting weak he would hop on a plane and try to run away to france to get treatment and i for one if he dies on the plane just like his dad did i will shed not a single tear and so then the cycle continues and the cycle continues it's a perpetual cycle of ignorance and incompetence you understand another another example that i want to talk about and this might ruffle some people's feathers but i don't give a shit if you don't like it just tune off so even in ghana even in ghana i there was a a couple years ago one of the presidents there was a president by the name of um atta mills atta mills by all accounts and by all indications was a decent president who was who basically really wanted the best for ghana okay this guy was a patriot he uh there's a video that i saw of him where he was um he was telling he went somewhere i think it was to a the customs he went to he went to go visit the customs department i think it was the customs department and he was he was blasting them for all the corrupt practices that um was so rampant in their department and um he was telling them that uh you know he he would he would start basically checking in on them and 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 basically he would start scrutinizing them 
I guess not too long after that, he died. So, you know, there were speculations that, you know, he was killed and all that stuff. But it doesn't even matter. It's the manner in which he died is what I'm trying to highlight here, right? So this this president of ours, um, first of all, he wasn't in the best of shape. Okay, he just by looking at him, you could tell he wasn't a very robust individual. He was he was he was he was he was fairly up there in age, and you could you could just tell he was frail. He was frail. And for those of you, my especially my American uh, listeners who want to know Atamels, he was the president when Obama first went to Ghana. So you can go on YouTube, you can type in Obama Ghana, right? And um, if you see the Obamas and you see whoever happens to be or looks like the president of Ghana at the time, that would be him. So Atamels supposedly suffered and again with these things you never know what's true and what's not true and anyway he suffered some type of crisis while he was in the presidential mansion and in Ghana the presidential mansion is referred to as the castle so he was he was in the castle and he had some type of he had some type of health crisis which necessitated the need for emergency treatment well do you know do you know people and and I know for my my western friends and you know listeners it it probably sounds like nah there's no way that it, it sounds ludicrous but do you know that the president a whole president of the country they did not have an ambulance for him they did not have an ambulance to take him to the hospital. Instead, they put him in a, an unmarked, uh, supposedly a pickup truck or something. And again, I'm not sure if that's the case or not. I do know he didn't leave. He didn't leave the castle in an ambulance, though. He left in a regular car. And someone saying it was a pickup truck. So he, he gets in a pickup truck. I don't know if it's a military pickup truck, it's a police pickup truck. I don't even know if there were sirens blaring. I don't know. And even with the sirens blaring from the castle to they took him to a hospital which is mostly for the armed forces. It's called 37 Military Hospital. From castle to 37 Military Hospital you know they had to have hit some traffic and I've already if you've been listening to the show consistently I've already told you about the traffic that exists in Ghana and in Africa in general it's not like here in the West where the ambulance comes the wide, the roads are so wide that the cars can part ways like the Red Sea and the ambulance just goes through wee 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 very little resistance it's not like that okay so this poor man was dying in the pickup truck while they were bobbing and weaving and trying to make their way so it probably took them I don't know let's be conservative here and say it probably took them 30 minutes to get to the hospital and supposedly when they got to the hospital they didn't even take him through the regular entrance 
You know how like here you get to the hospital, the EMTs get you to the hospital, right? The ambulance gets you to the hospital and they pull out the gurney and you're still on the gurney and they have the oxygen mask on your nose and they're doing everything to keep you alive till they rush you into surgery and what no 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 not 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 in Ghana. Mm-mm. And you would think that okay, maybe it doesn't happen in Ghana, but at least with someone being the president, this is the president. He at least should have that. They should have, if no one can get it, at least the president should have that, you know, um, pre, pre-admission protocols, you know, with the oxygen mask and all that stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. They took him to the hospital. They didn't even go through the front entrance from what I understand. They took him through the back entrance. This is this is this is what I heard allegedly. They took him through the back entrance, through the maternity ward, and to God knows where I see you or where I don't know where they took him. But the poor man didn't survive the ordeal. And rightfully so. Or understandably so, I should say. He did not survive the ordeal. So I say all that to say this. Or to re, uh, or to buttress the point that I, I made earlier, African leaders themselves are not immune to what their fellow countrymen go through on a daily basis, especially when it comes to the area of healthcare. They might get away with other things. They might live a life of comfort, a life of luxury, in the sense that they drive nice cars because they will buy nice cars with with state money. They will live in nice homes because the state pays for that. Uh, they get to travel overseas whenever they want to because that's covered by the state. But there are certain things that even with all that money and with all that prestige and with all the, the, the privileges, they still cannot escape. One of those things is healthcare. Or the basic lack, the lack of basic healthcare or lack of access to good healthcare. That, as far as that is concerned, they're in the same boat as their countrymen. You understand? That and bad roads. Because why? They haven't built good hospitals. And two, they haven't built good roads. So then it boils down to again to a lack of basic infrastructure. You understand? So, you know, I remember about 10 years ago. When uh, Jonathan Goodluck was president of Nigeria and I was reading an article. And that was when it first occurred to me, this whole thing. This whole notion that African leaders, they're not immune. Jonathan Goodluck, I read the article. I I never bothered to research to see if it was true or not. But supposedly, his own mother, Jonathan Goodluck, was the president of Nigeria. And at the time, Nigeria supposedly, supposedly, according to... Forbes and Bloomberg and all these other magazines, finance magazines, Nigeria was doing well economically. 
GDP was at 500 billion and all that stuff and all that stuff. But even then, while these Western magazines were extolling all the virtues of his presidency, Jonathan really, again, on paper, it might look like the economy was booming and everything, but was that effect trickling down to the masses? You understand? And the question obviously is no. Because Jonathan's mother supposedly died in a car accident on a shitty ass road in Nigeria. You see what I'm talking about? A shitty ass road in Nigeria. The president's own mom died on a shitty ass road in Nigeria. Now again, disclaimer, I haven't I, I saw I read this article years ago. I never bothered to, you know, research it and see if it was really true. So it may be false, but at the time it seemed pretty convincing when I was reading it. And that was when I, I, I realized, hey, you know what? The president's mother is dying because she was driving on the same useless roads as regular civilians. That goes to show you the president is not immune because his mom has passed and I'm sure he's sad and everything. But who's to blame for that, really? He's partly to blame for it. Had he provided good roads, there's a chance his mother would still be alive, right? But he didn't. So, uh, you know, she's dead. You understand? So, that is basically, you know, all I have to say as far as this corona thing and, and African leadership. I tried to tie the two in together. And again, I, I really hope, I really hope that first of all this corona thing is forcing everybody to rethink just about the way they do things all over the world and i hope that phenomenon is applying to african leaders too more so especially i hope i hope they're they're looking at it and it's making them rethink the way they do things because the old ways of doing things is not working it is not working for the longest time, they thought they were immune. But Corona is showing them that they're not. It's showing them that they're not. So I hope that they, they've, they've learned their lesson. And, you know, I say that to say this. Hopefully, it's not just, like I said, it's not just African leaders that are learning from but Africans in general. Everybody in general is just learning from this and um taking measures to ensure that or, or 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 you know putting together a game plan to ensure that if this ever happens again we'll be better prepared for it you know anyway so that's it for now let's take a uh, quick musical break don't go nowhere and i will be right back Francis, you 
Masarati 
Ambition is a privilege, Zaga. Enough man have, remember that Bad mind's a disease, true Some man won't catch, yeah Well I never bust a chain or me never pick a pocket Never see a holy man bag and try grab it Everything me have you know me work hard for it So I some dot in here got bad mind me for it Every day them see me out a road and me a flat Buy me one a liquor so me have me one a glass Now, in the last segment I was talking about Nigeria it was a couple months ago, you know, when this whole Corona thing started again, um, and there was the need for, you know, uh, uh, lockdowns and, and social distancing and all that stuff. So, again, African leaders, okay, I was talking about African leaders and what they need to do um, in terms of preparing the continent. Uh, in case something like this happens again and you know most of these things that I'm proposing most of these things that I'm proposing these are things that have should have been there anyway these are things that the continent needs to have in place even on a regular basis pandemic or no pandemic these are things that should have been put in place already because these things are the basic tenets and the basic hallmarks of of a civilized society okay things simple things like good roads clean running water access to sewage you know um what is it food for the masses okay electricity okay basic infrastructure you know these these are these are the basic things that a society needs to have in place in order to function properly if anything else doesn't work if at least these things are in place the society will function well and then you can build on top of that it's all about the basics okay I think I was listening to Karen Hunter the other day and she she also had her own um, uh, criteria or her own definition of what the three things that a society needs to have I think she had food clothes and shelter food clothing and shelter which which we can add that in there too okay food clothing and shelter that's that's also important food is very important because without food uh, people can function without food um you know a society will grow restless and that much is obvious now with this whole pandemic because ever since this thing started food distribution chains all around the world have been disrupted and uh, there have been dire warnings from um, you know groups such as the UN whatever branch of the UN is responsible for food that oversees the way food is distributed and all that stuff in the world I can't remember it's not UNESCO um the world food program or something either way there's somebody that 
basically monitors how food is distributed around the world and who has access to food and they're the ones that basically um tell you how many people are starving on earth and all that stuff and you know you think about it you you, you think about it you're like it's 2020 man and to think that in 2020 people are still going to bed hungry children are still going to bed hungry man and it's like wow so what they're saying is there's a certain number of a certain number of people who go to bed hungry in the millions every day globally but because of what's going on with corona that number is going to increase by another hundred million at least because of disruptions in the food supply chains ships that carry food are not on the oceans taking sending food back and forth as much output has decreased by like about over 60 percent countries countries which export food of course have cut back or scaled back on the amount that they send out because their first priority is their own people you understand so countries like india and and uh, other countries you know uh, uh, philippines and you know all these other countries that have a certain major food um staple to export they're cutting back they're cutting back because they can't afford to let their own people starve and i can honestly tell you that you know if you're the leader of a group or of a group of people and your people start to starve your leadership will be questioned and challenged you always want to keep your people full you understand a people that have you know their bellies full for the most part they're content they don't they don't argue much and they don't you know they don't dissent and they don't try to to cause uh, uh, you know any type of social uh, uh, disruptances or social disturbances because you know their bellies are full a content a full belly is a content belly but anyway so they're saying that you know the number of people that are going to uh, experience hunger is, ha- is is projected to increase by 100 million and they're using terms like famines of a biblical scale famines of a biblical proportions i mean and of course the countries that are going to be hit worst are sub-saharan african countries as if that was a surprise you see as if that was a surprise it, it comes as no surprise so again it all boils down to african leadership again it all boils down to african leadership because in the same article i was reading how a country like taiwan what what actually in the same article what what they said was wealthier countries um what they've been doing is they've you know if if what if if a country that's wealthy versus a country that's not that wealthy has to bid for for food of course they're they're gonna outbid the poorer countries and most people know a lot of poor countries are in africa so african countries can't even bid for food for their people because they'll be outbid 
you dig? And I suspect that this has been the case for the longest time. This has been the case for the longest time. And it, and, and it's, it again boils down to that fundamental question I always ask. So what exactly have African countries been doing this whole time? If you have a problem that has existed for decades, why haven't you fixed the problem? And I... Uh, couple shows ago i used the analogy if you're married to a wife who nags you and causes you headaches and problems all the time you're gonna divorce them right so why can't africa take that same approach you know what the problem is why won't you solve the problem is there a reason why you don't want to solve the problem now we can go further into that and people can be like well it's because they don't have money and all that stuff and the african countries don't have money and they're poor and at the end of the day at the end of the day that is a lame excuse okay because if you listen to the earlier segment before we went on a musical break I just gave you a very good example of how, for instance, using Nigeria as an example, how if me personally, I was given the power and the resources to manage Nigeria's health care, I just gave you an example of what I would do with that hospital, okay? I believe that for every problem that African nations claim to have there is a solution and the solution does not lie in the hands of westerners the solution lies in the hands of africans themselves it lies in our own hands okay i am no longer buying the excuse that african nations are poor i am no longer buying that excuse we can solve some of our problems and Contrary to popular belief, a lot of the problems don't require rocket science or the knowledge of rocket science to be solved. All we have to do is solve the basic problems, put in place the basic needs, and everything else will follow. Put in place the basic needs, and everything else will follow. Put in place the basic needs, and everything else will follow. Okay, so back to the article about the food thing. So I was reading it and they were talking about how Taiwan, okay, Taiwan had been preparing for something like this for over a decade. Apparently, when the recession, the economic recession hit in 2008, there was kind of like, you know, people that were following it realized that there was sort of like a disruption a little bit of disruption in the food you know supply chains okay so wise people people that were smart and had foresight realized you know what this is a kink in our armor let us let us fix it so the taiwanese being the wise people that they are what did they do they started buying up food and storing it and buying up food and storing it and they had been doing that for 10 years 10 years they were just buying up food and storing it because they were like we never know when something might happen 
but just in case it happens because it's not a matter of if it's only a matter of when it could be 10 years from now it could be 20 years it could be 30 years we don't care all we know is we are storing food for our people in case shit happens well guess what shit happened shit happened and so now that shit has happened well guess what the taiwanese are prepared i don't have the article in front of me it's in my phone somewhere upstairs but they have so much food they said they have stored so much food it is enough to last them for 23 months 23 months so even if corona decides to stay for a year and a half and food is not moving well guess what the taiwanese are not gonna go hungry you see that is leadership right there that is sound wise leadership right there and so the question then becomes how come african leaders couldn't have done the same for africa Hmm? how come african leaders could not have done the same for africa because this thing that i just explained to you this 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 thing that taiwan did that i just explained to you it wasn't rocket science they didn't go out and invent anything they didn't reinvent the wheel they didn't send people out into space they didn't all they did was they just bought food and stored it that is all they did they bought food and stored it instead of wasting time on nonsense and and useless stuff and you know things that don't benefit a nation this is what they were doing they were buying food and storing it this is classic example of the story of the ant and the grasshopper while things were good during the summer the grasshopper was going around gallivanting and showing off and doing acrobatics and doing all types of partying and doing all types of stupid shit meanwhile the ant was storing food because the ant knew that the summer would not be forever and that winter was coming soon and when winter came the earth would dry up and there would be food uh, food would not be found anywhere so while the grasshopper was chilling enjoying the summer playing basketball and going to parties and and and, and doing all sorts of unnecessary stuff the ant was storing food and when the winter came the grasshopper died it starved to death while the ant was nice and warm in its den with plenty of food to last it through the winter and the interesting part about this thing is growing up as kids in africa they used to tell us this story all the time the adults would tell us this story all the time and yet they themselves especially african leaders don't even practice what they were teaching us the kids they don't practice it and it's so fucking mind-boggling you see so I, I mean I'm just whenever I go to Ghana and I'm driving through the countryside you know what I see do you know what I see I see potential I see potential there is for instance if you drive 
from there's a, a city in the eastern region called Koforidia. If you drive from Koforidia to the town where I was raised and called Suhum, it's probably about maybe 20 miles. It's probably about 20 miles. Yeah. I don't know what that is in kilometers. I don't have a conversion chart in front of me. But 20 miles. And out of that 20 miles, I kid you not, maybe about 15 of it, all you see is just land. Uninhabited land. Lush, green, foliage, vegetation. Just swaths of large acreage of land just sitting there doing nothing not being utilized so then me being the person that I am and the pragmatic person that I am when this whole corona thing started and I, I read that article about even and, and, and I had given this some thought even before corona I said you have a country of 30 million that is the population of Ghana and I guarantee you that out of that 30 million, 5 million of them are probably young, capable youth who are unemployed. Young, capable youth who are unemployed with all different levels of education from those who uh, finished primary school and didn't continue all the way up to those who completed college but can't find jobs because the jobs just aren't there so you have like five million and you know what let's be conservative let's just say three million you have three million young capable bodies that are strong they have energy they have strength okay who wake up every morning and don't contribute anything to the country not because they don't want to but because no one has given them something to do and so they're wasting their youth away they don't have a sense of purpose okay they don't have jobs and they're just wasting their youth away so I would I say something like this and again, this is, these are just my humble opinions, people. These are just my humble opinions. Okay, I, I, I am a pragmatic person and I like to think pragmatically. So, these are just solutions that I'm proposing because, you know, when it comes to Africa or even America or whatever, or the world in general, as humans, we like to talk about the problems. But then the flip side to it is you can't just keep talking about the problems and not propose a solution so in you know in that context this is me I've presented you with the problem and I'm proposing my solution to it so you know hypothetical scenario if I was the leader of some African nation or just pick a generic African nation or we can even use Ghana and I have all this land in the country 
that is not being utilized at the moment and I have all these young people who don't have jobs and they're capable strong young people both males and females wouldn't it make sense for me to put them to work on these fields and to have them cultivate these fields and grow food is that too much to ask for or is that an unreasonable um is that an unreasonable request you have the land you have the labor you have the land you have the labor you have the land on one side and you have the labor on the other side would it be unreasonable to say if i was the president to wake up one day and say you know what the fact that we have all these young people walking around is totally unacceptable they're walking around doing nothing is unacceptable and we have all this land so i'm i'm, I'm gonna I'm going to ship them by the truckloads, give each of them hoes and machetes and, you know, farming tools, and I'm going to have them till this land. I'm going to have them till the land and cultivate it and plant food for the nation. Now, let's say we did that in about three years. We did that continuously for three, four years. Is it safe to assume that we would have a lot of food because of the process that I started? Is it safe to assume that, people? It's not outside of the realm of possibility, right? So you have, and, 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 and bear in mind, I'm not proposing that these, the youth go and work for free. Oh, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, or what I'm proposing is, we let them go out there they work every day if you don't come to we won't we won't force you but we will incentivize you that you will have no choice but to come and work you understand so you go out there you work at the end of the day your shift supervisor or whatever gives you i don't know about 30 ghana cities or 50 ghana cities per head for one day's worth of work 50 Ghana cities now for those of you who might say well 50 Ghana cities especially my my American listeners you you, you it's kind of hard to put it in perspective for you the, the Ghanaians will know but my American listeners or for anyone let me just put it in perspective for you when I was down there in Ghana, I'm trying to put in perspective why I said 50 Ghana cities and to show you that that's a very uh, practical amount to pay, right? So when I was in Ghana, when I went to visit, you had street vendors and street hawkers. Most of them are young, okay? The young ones are the ones that risk life and limb. They would come into the, the streets where traffic was, whenever there was the traffic. They would come into the street, they would be in between the cars trying to sell their wares. They'd be selling things like suspenders. Who wears suspenders? They'd be selling things like combs. They'd be selling things like um, uh, headphones. Anything they could get their hands on, they'd sell. Because if you don't work, you don't eat. And so you, you would see young people who are about 
my age or well not my age maybe 10 years younger than me you, you can you can take a look at a young man who you can tell has been standing in the hot sun for at least four or five hours skin darkened by being in that hot heat and he's trying to sell some suspenders or he's selling apples you see people selling puppies loafers sponges little you know miscellaneous stuff like that and you call one of them over and you might ask them how much is this thing and they'll tell you one Ghana CD or two Ghana CDs now bear in mind you're looking at the item he's selling and you realize I guarantee you this guy is not gonna sell more than 10 of these things today so let's even say he had a really good day and he sold 10 and he's selling each for two Ghana CDs this is 20 Ghana CDs he made in about eight hours standing in the Sun he made 20 Ghana CDs 20 Ghana CDs he can feed himself off of that at most and that is if he's buying local delicacies he's not you know splurging he's not buying something that you know he's, he's just keeping it to the bare minimum that 20 Ghana CDs will probably feed him at most three times at most you understand so if 20 Ghana CDs is the best you can do out there on your own and me being the president I'm proposing that you come and till this land and I'll give you 50 Ghana CDs well you tell me which offer would seem better to you because either way you're gonna be in the Sun so you can be in the Sun and make 20 Ghana CDs or you can be in the Sun and make 50 Ghana CDs you dig and I argue before you ladies and gentlemen that I believe the youth would opt for the 50 Ghana City job. So, damn, that's taken care of. Incentive taken care of. Get the youth to work, pay them 50 Ghana CDs at the at the end of each shift, and they will come. They will come. And after three, four years, you look back, look at all the crops you've been able to harvest from the ground because of the you putting the unemployed youth to work and you do that you store the food you make sure you, you 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 build some silos so you can put the food in there and store it store it for a time like this that we're in now and then when the time comes where the whole world or most of the underdeveloped world is starving because they don't have food well guess what you have so much food because you've been doing this for years right and then what you do is you prioritize your own people first because this food is not food that you intended to export anyway this is food that you intended to keep for your own fellow countrymen and so at a time like this when the president of Ghana told Ghanaians listen this corona thing I need you guys to stay indoors uh, so that we, we decrease the spread of it and the, the main rebuttal to, to the president's mandate was that we can't stay indoors. We, we, we don't have any food. We're hungry. If we don't go out to work, we don't eat. So we have to go out to work. So basically the stay-at-home orders 
didn't work because people were going out regardless. The use of the military didn't even deter people from staying indoors. I mean, did not deter people from, from coming outdoors. People were like, we'll take our chances. We'll go out there and, and, and have the military slap us around and kick us around. But if you have kids at home and they're starving, you are willing to take that chance. And so in order to avoid all that, in order to avoid all that, let's just say this plan that I proposed to use the youth to grow crops and food for the, for the nation. So let's say we had been doing that for the past five years and we had silos in each region of Ghana just filled with food. It doesn't even have to be each region of Ghana. Let's say we had a central place somewhere in Ghana in the Ashanti region or in the eastern region or somewhere where all the food trucks were bringing all the food that was cultivated and they were all put in silos and we got a little bit of help from the west to show us how to you know maintain the integrity of the food within the silos and that's all we we, we had to do is just try to make sure the food doesn't rot because they're in the silos and now a time like this came and the president says, I need you guys to stay home. People would not have an excuse of, well, we don't have food. Because as soon as they say, well, we don't, how are we going to feed ourselves? The government, the, the president would say, you guys remember all that food we have stored in wherever, wherever? Well, guess what? I am going to release the food now to you guys. And then, instead of the chaotic scenes that we saw where people wanted to politicize the process and people were going out and giving food donating food themselves and people were there were crowds and throngs of crowds standing to get food because i saw videos of it there were throngs of crowds just neck to neck shoulder to shoulder you're like wait how how is this even if you're trying to prevent the spread of this disease, how is this helping? Why are you distributing food at this time and in such a manner? Anyway, so if the opportunity presented itself, then the president would say, it's okay, my people. You have worked. You, you, you gave me your sons and your daughters and you made me put them to work. Well, guess what? The fruits of their labor, you're about to reap those fruits now. You understand? So stay at home. Don't come out. The military will bring the food to you. And that being said, you reassure them. You mobilize the army. Instead of having the army being out on the street and beating people, you mobilize the army. Okay? And you let the army has these huge trucks. You fill it up with bags of rice, bags of whatever you 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 planted. You fill it up with those things, and then you go from door to door, and you let one person from each household come stand, and you give them a bag of rice, a bag of beans, or whatever, and then they take to their house. I mean, doesn't that sound more sensible? I mean, is it just me or 
is that too much to ask for this this whole scenario that i just presented to you guys is, is it is it too hard for your brains to fathom hmm? and so in a way a program that you started five years ago will pay for itself twice because when the youth were planting you were paying them anyway so that they would have money to feed themselves so that they wouldn't feel dejected all the time so that their self-worth would be preserved because you don't want young people walking around feeling destitute feeling broken because they don't know where their next meal is coming from so you preserve their self-esteem in that regards you preserve whatever it is whatever whatever good it is in them so that they don't start resorting to, to social vices so that they can feed themselves I mean it, it, is this such a hard proposal hmm? so let's summarize president is driving then I'll say I'm the president I'm driving through the countryside I look to the left, I look to the right. I'm like, look at all this land. Look at all this land right here. And it's just lying there doing nothing. And then I drive through the countryside and then I, I come into the cities. And I look to my left, I look to my right. I'm driving in my air-conditioned army convoy or whatever. And I see all these youth, the youth standing by the roadside, just staring at my convoy drive because you know they like to see nice luxury cars and they're like oh oh man penny oh look it's the leader of the nation oh leader mr president oh you're great you're great i'm hungry i'm using i'm using whatever last energy i have in me to say you're great look at you driving around looking all fancy in your in your in your 500 car convoy with air condition and it's all nice and all but You'll be gone in two minutes and I'll go back to being hungry. So I look to the left and I look to the right and I see my people starving. My young people. So then I say no. One plus one equals two. I'm going to put all these young unemployed people that are standing in this hot sun. I'm going to put them to work. And I'm going to incentivize them. So I, I put them to work. Of course I'll meet some resistances but that can be dealt with I put them to work I have them start tilling the land you know at the end of three four years we have a bumper harvest consider all things considered equal there are no droughts there is nothing we, we've grown so much food we don't know what to do with it we've built silos and we place all that food in the silos and we wait for when something like this happens or whenever there's a food shortage or anything and when that day does come we open up the silos and we distribute the food back to the people sounds like a fucking good plan to me y'all sounds like a fucking good plan to me but you know what i'm not the president of any country i'm just good old mr james carrington so 
but i just wanted to run that by you guys and uh and and see what you guys thought about that and on the last note before i actually switch to the main uh theme of the show so again and this is about corona again so you guys speaking of africa corona and africa you guys must have heard that madagascar that is that country that is supposedly part of africa but it's like an island off of africa madagascar supposedly claims that they came out with a cure for coronavirus okay the president of madagascar about two months ago came out said his country had found the cure and uh, on live TV he drank something that was supposedly the cure and he he so believes in this concoction that he started you know processing mass producing it and uh, was starting to send it to other African countries now of course everybody is gonna be like or a sensible person would say what he found the cure well how come the world health organization hasn't gone down there to investigate the claims and how come the cdc hasn't been down there and you know all that and all that because a cure is what the world is looking for right now so how come we're not looking into this gentleman's claims that this thing is um is legit People have made videos, people from, people like Dr. Mumby and, uh, you know, from Dr. Mumby to all other kinds of internet personalities and bloggers and vloggers have all been, you know, on this whole Madagascar thing talking about, oh, well, this, is, this is an example of how Africans, we don't believe, we don't have uh, trust in each other and we don't, you know, we don't believe ourselves in ourselves and we're still waiting on the white man to come and give us vaccines and blah, 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 blah now to an extent that assessment has some merit okay to an extent that argument has some merit but you really gotta ask yourselves why is it that the world health organization you really gotta ask yourself why is it that the world health organization hasn't taken madagascar's claims of having a cure seriously well i'll tell you why and again it boils down to african leadership or the lack thereof you see when the world takes a look at africa and all the inherent problems that Africa has just like I did not all the problems but I kind of encapsulated most of the things that were wrong with Africa and that's what I've been doing for the past hour or so when the world looks at Africa and sees all the problems that Africa has the one thing the world thinks of first just like we Africans ourselves to think of is where is the leadership you understand anytime someone looks at a country that's not doing well they don't look at the citizens they're they're trying to figure out who's in charge here who who's in charge of this 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 why is it such a mess over here who's responsible for these people right 
It's almost like if you go to a a daycare, if you were to walk to a daycare and you saw that kids running around, running amok, you would be like, wait, where are the teachers? Who, where are the adults here? Who's in charge here? You don't blame the kids themselves because the kids are doing what they're supposed to do. They're just doing what comes natural to them, right? Well, the same thing applies to leadership of countries. So, when the world looks at Africa, and the world has been looking at Africa for the longest time, and the world has realized that Africa, uh, or African leadership for the most part, is hopeless and useless and incompetent. You see? And with that label, if your leadership is, 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 if your leadership is labeled or is slapped with the incompetent label, there is nothing that can come out of that continent or that country that the rest of the world will take seriously. Okay? Once you are slapped with that label of or your leader is slapped with that label of incompetence or buffoonery, there is nothing good that can come out of that continent that will be recognized. You understand? At least nothing serious. The only things they will take seriously that will come out of you will be entertainment. Okay? Because, again, you got to understand, the rest of the world, when they look at black people, all they see, and it's not through any fault of our own, but all they see is, well, uh, they know how to dance, uh... They, they they display um, heightened physical attributes or whatever. You know, that is all they think of us. They don't think of us in terms of, well, you know, they have the same brain function as we do. They're just as equally intelligent as we are. No, they don't see us that way. They, they think that somehow we are, you know, when it comes to intelligence, we don't have the same brain capability as they do. But why is that? Well, it is because we haven't produced anything. And why haven't we produced anything? Because African leadership has filled the continent as a whole. African leadership hasn't provided, you know, the conditions that would enable Africans to produce anything. Because all they've done is squandered our resources helped pack and ship our resources to the west leaving us with nothing and the very little that the west has offered us they have taken that and put it in their back pockets you understand and so the west sees this and 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 sees you know what african leadership is is you know they've ruined their continent of course we helped them ruin it but you know we'll, we'll put it on them for now and so nothing to, in their minds nothing good ever comes from a place that's ruined you understand but then every so often there comes along something that is of you know something that is something that is um of substance something that is of value okay 
every now and then Africa will produce something that is of substance something that is of value something that can help the world not just Africa something that the world is actually looking for an answer to a problem the world is actually looking for it might come out of Africa or the answer might reside in Africa but if Africa raises its hand and says I have the answer to this problem that plagues the globe well the rest of the world will look at Africa and be like man sit your ass down man you ain't got no goddamn answer because why because of the perception that they have of Africa and why do they have this perception of Africa it is because of uh, 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 failed leadership it always boils down to that it's not about the, the regular African that's working 9 to 5, working hard, trying to survive, trying to figure out where he's going to get his next meal from. No, 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 no. It is because of failed African leadership. The leadership which has failed to develop the talent and the skills on the, on the continent so that we can produce something in a similar manner to our European counterparts, to our American counterparts, to our Asian counterparts, so that the world can take us seriously. Do you understand? So that is why nobody is taking this Madagascar claim seriously. It could very well be that this guy has indeed found the cure for Corona, but it's no one is taking him seriously because they just don't take Africa seriously and if they don't take Africa seriously the question then becomes why because of failed African leadership African leaders have failed abysmally they have failed in their role of representing the continent in a positive light they have failed to nurture the continent and to make the continent a powerhouse on the global stage they have failed immensely in their duties to put Africa on the map the only thing they have done for Africa is to open us wide open for exploitation that is all they've done and so, if an African comes along and says, I have discovered the cure for whatever, it is very easy to dismiss him. And that is what you're seeing play out here in Madagascar. That is why the WHO is not taking Madagascar's claim seriously. And so when, you know, I've seen videos, like I said, videos, and, and you know, me coming from the background that I'm coming from. Um, another thing that also you know adds to the uh, <coughs> the dismissive tone that the West has shown or demonstrated to Madagascar is because first of all this Madagascar came out of nowhere with this cure alright we were there and all of a sudden we heard oh the president of Madagascar says he's found a cure for corona and he drank some potion on live TV so that's it we should just take his word at it 
Well, that is not how you fucking go about proving that you have a cure to anything. This guy hasn't shown us any statistics. This guy hasn't shown us any clinical trials. This guy hasn't shown us videos of people who were sick before and after videos of people who were sick and drank this thing and got better. He hasn't shown us anything. All he just said was, hey, world, uh, I found the cure for Corona. This is it. Look, 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 look at me. I'm drinking some of it right now. Mmm, see that? Now, how the hell is the world supposed to fucking take you seriously with that kind of bullshit? That was some half-assed presentation right there. And so, yes, the World Health Organization will not take you seriously if you come half-assed like that. You understand? And that is and that is one of the biggest again lack of African leadership or failure of African leadership. You would think all the science the scientists in his cabinet would have told him, Mr. President, that's not how you, you present a cure to the world. You you can't just you know, you need hard facts, you need evidence based facts, you need the scientific facts, you you, you need proof. You need proof that is, you know, unmistakable and um, beyond reasonable doubt. Okay? You can't just wake up in the morning and be like, I found a cure for something. A, a, a disease as ravaging as this one is. You can't just wake up in the morning and just say, oh, I found a cure for that. Without having the proof. And telling people you just got to go by my word. It doesn't work like that. And you would think he would know that. You see? And, 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 and by doing that. By not making sure that he had all his ducks lined up in a row. Before he presented his case to the world. Now people really won't take him seriously. And like we said. For all we know. He probably had, does have the cure. Me personally, I'm not drinking that shit even if you gave it to me anyways. Because like I said, until until I have seen a substantial amount of people drink it. And I have seen, you know, proof without, you know, beyond reasonable doubt that, you know what? This, this person right here was on their deathbed. And they gave him some of this concoction for a couple days and now he's recovering until I see that I'm not drinking that that shit so for the rest of you down there in the continent if you get one of these uh, you know concoctions and you want to drink it hey knock yourself out and then let me know how it worked for you you know what I'm saying let me know how it worked for you you know Ever since this whole thing started, there have been so many claims of cures coming out of Africa. Herbal remedies. And I don't have anything against herbal remedies. I actually believe that a lot of ailments that are cured by Western medicine can also be cured by herbal remedies. Because you gotta understand... There was herbal remedies before Western medicine came. And 
the pharmacology behind a lot of Western medicine is actually taken from herbal medicine. Okay, herbal is just a natural way of curing the disease, while the Western way or Western medicine is just a synthetic way of curing the disease. You understand? So, I have no, there is no question or no doubt in my mind that, you know, herbal medicine cures a lot of things. If you take a continent like Africa, before whites came, there were herbal doctors who were curing people of ailments, okay? Before whites came along with Western medicine. And so, <clears throat> that in itself alone lets you know that these people or black people on the continent have survived countless um, countless uh, ailments okay especially malaria and other things without the help of the white man whites came and said hey your way of doing it is not the good way try our way or whatever we adopted it and you know so i have you know i don't want you guys to walk away from this saying or thinking that i'm totally against herbal medicine i'm not what i am against though is falsehoods because there are so many i believe as a matter of fact if you ask me today do i think a cure for hiv exists i would say yes and it exists not in the West, but it probably is sitting in the mind of some herbal doctor somewhere deep in some jungle in some village somewhere in Africa. There is probably someone in Africa somewhere in some village no one has ever heard of, some remote village in Uganda or Tanzania or Ghana or Nigeria or somewhere there is some old man somewhere with extensive knowledge of herbs and 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 how they work and he got this knowledge from his daddy who probably got his knowledge from his daddy who probably got his knowledge from some herbal doctor from way back in the day and this knowledge has been distilled and passed on from generation to generation. And it's probably curing people with HIV and doesn't even know he's he, he doesn't even know he's a superstar. He doesn't know it. He just thinks he's just curing something. I honestly in my heart believe that. The problem is for every one of those old men there are 99 other individuals who are crooks and who are quacks and who are pretending to be the real deal when they're not. And most people are encountering those 99 people as opposed to encountering the old man. If you're lucky enough to get information about the old man from someone and you go see him and he cures you, you're fine. But you see, it's only one of him. But it's 99 other fake ones that are also mixing stuff which they don't know <clears throat> how it works. 
they look the part, they talk the, the, the talk, but they're not the real deal, you see? And so those are the ones, most people who believe in herbal medicines, they're, those fakes are the ones that they're going to. And it's kind of like try and error with them. Okay, sometimes they might hit the spot, sometimes they might, they might hit the mark, sometimes they might not. And that is why herbal medicine is not really making, you know, a name for itself when it comes to just healing people globally. That is why Western medicine has taken over because with Western medicine, okay, <clears throat> and the Western way of doing things, you all, there always has to be that empiric evidence. There has to be that empiric evidence because Western medicine is monetized. Okay? It is based on a capitalistic system. Listen, guys. Boardroom of Novartis. Boardroom of AstraZeneca. Boardrooms in Merck. Okay? Suits. Sitting down. They're like, listen, guys. We have to come up with a cure for diabetes we have to come up for a cure for this and that if we do that projected sales globally 3 billion 4 billion 6 billion and stuff like that that is how it's done in the west in non-western cultures it's not about the money the old man in that village who's curing people he's just curing people because that's what he loves to do he's not trying to buy a lamborghini he's not trying to be ceo he's not trying to be uh you know he's not trying to do any of that he's not trying to live in no fancy stuff he just enjoys curing people the 99 other people the 99 other fake herbal doctors who are mixing concoctions which they're not supposed to be mixing and killing people probably while at it they're the greedy ones who are doing it just because they want to do it for the money they don't care if the person dies or not they they're fakes they're cons they're hustlers and so they're the ones that give herbal medicine a bad name in most cases people will say the one the few bad apples spoil the whole bunch well in the case of herbal medicine in africa the bad ones are way more than the good ones you understand so that is my take on 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 and i said all that to say this because again when this whole corona thing started there were so many articles I, I read an article where they were describing all the so-called cures purported cures that had came out of africa everything from drinking your own urine to some of the stuff was just plain out ridiculous People had 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 listened to some fake herbal doctors. They had they had they had taken some of the concoctions. They told them to take. Some people had died. You see what I'm saying? Some people had died. And once people start dying, you lose all credibility. You're supposed to be a healer, not a killer. So if whatever you're giving people is killing them, you're done. You're done. 
I mean, there were. I wish I had saved that article. And that's one thing I need to start doing for the show. So I can read these things to you. And you can understand where I'm coming from. And so that is why the rest of the world is not taking Africa seriously. Because they know there's a whole bunch of clowns out there who just want to make a quick buck. And will will come out and say anything or do anything just to make a quick buck. Come out and say, oh, I found a cure for Corona. Grind some ginger and grind some garlic and grind some pepper seeds and this and that and this and that and drink it three times a day and it should cure you of Corona. There's a whole bunch of people out there that ascribe to that nonsense. But the old man in the village somewhere that nobody knows of probably has the cure for Corona. Probably has the cure for HIV. Probably has the cure for hepatitis. And unfortunately, he might die without even imparting that knowledge to someone else. He might die with all that knowledge in his head without imparting it to someone else. That is the tragic nature of herbal medicine in Africa. The tragic story of it. Anyway. Let us take a quick musical break. I'll don't go nowhere. I'll be back. You blew it, threw it all away Cause you were stupid, girl, why'd you do it? I might have knew it by the way you gave me a baby That left a day before I ever saw the sun that God made me It's hard, maybe we could make amends, be friends We're only hurting all of us for certain by forsaking him Just take it in, don't even say your word Observe the way you were, preserve these words And so you won't play the herb ever again Never pretend that he doesn't have a father I'm always there and you don't wanna bother I yawn up my word on my father's grave Got him through his hardest age so he can thrive and survive in these modern days i want to raise my little man but you keep persistent i'm insisting you chill for real before you come up missing listen i don't want to fight i'd rather do what's right a boy needs a father that's the most important part of his life come back come back Seems feathered wings and rings with emeralds right out of Geraldine's. Several dreams of cream fulfilled. The green deville, Cadillac to Mac. Matter of fact, redeemed the bill. I mean, for real, like in playing mommy. How you wanna stay your money fresh? Giving the next nigga my punani. You want me back, cause he hit it wrong. Now you wanna get it on with the long dong. With bomb, my shit is strong. Girl, don't even start again. I beg your pardon, and get your hands off my six button card again. Cause ain't no love lost between us, far as I'm concerned. Please leave, cut that busted weave. I've been dying to burn. Go buy your perm, try your nerves, some respect. It's better to have love and lost than to live with regret.
So I just realized that I've been speaking for about two and a, two hours and 15 minutes. So I think at this point I will end the show. I will end this episode. I didn't even get to touch on any aspect of my uh, trip to Ghana on this episode. But that's fine. I think that the subject matter that I touched on today was more important. And it would be encouraging to hear what you guys think about it. I want to get some feedback from you the listeners to see if the proposals that I put forth in today's show if you think that they're you know too much to ask for if you think that they're outside of the realm of possibility or you know some things that I may have missed or why you think it may or may not work you know and I I want to especially hear from the listeners in Africa I want to hear from the listeners down in the continent because you're the ones living down there you understand so like for instance the the um the scenario that I presented the hypothetical scenario that I presented in Nigeria with a first class hospital I mean, is that outside of the realm of possibility? Is is that an idea which is not plausible? And if, if it's not, why not? And the idea that I proposed in Ghana as far as putting the, the young and unemployed um, youth to work on the fields, is that too much to ask for? Is that... Um, nerve-wracking is that something that is uh, an unreasonable proposal I really would like to hear the feedback on this and so if you guys want to comment on what you heard and give a little bit of insight um, go to Facebook and go look up the show on Facebook, the James Carrington Podcast Show. Go on Facebook and type in the James Carrington Podcast Show. And um, go to the link where I post or I posted this episode. And in the comment section, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. Because it would be interesting to know what you guys think about these proposals down there. Anyway, I have kept you long enough as it is. It's time for me to sign off. And to each and every one of you that's hearing my voice, that's out there, no matter where you are, whether you're in America, or you're in India, in Ireland, or in Johannesburg, just remember to be safe out there corona is out there it's real it's killing people and you don't want to get caught up in it so until you hear from me on the next episode it's your boy mr james carrington signing off babe
you'll get yours because you're stupid. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I got to get up. Get back on my feet so I can tear shit. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I got to get up. Get back on my feet so I can tear shit. Hey,